0: That is a very good theme. A determination, an aspiration to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus, and a prayer that He will help us fix our eyes on Him. And that is a great song for Hebrews 11, isn't it? Because that's what this chapter is about. Moses is one of those witnesses. Would you open your Bibles to Hebrews 11? We're going to begin at verse 23, and today we're going down to verse 26. Moses does not have a great reputation. Uh, Martin Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, said, Christ, according to the proper and true definition, is no Moses, no lawgiver, no tyrant, but a mediator for sins, a free giver of grace, righteousness, and life, who gave himself not for our merits, holiness, righteousness, and godly life, but for our sins. Poor Moses. Luther just called him a tyrant and a lawgiver. Where did he get that idea? Well, you know, the prologue to the Gospel of John says that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And what Moses and the prologue of John are doing is it's using Moses not as an individual believer, but as a type of the era of the law. But what about Moses himself? He's still misused. Orthodox Jews, for instance, still consider themselves disciples of Moses they might echo what the Pharisees said to the man born blind in John 9 they said thou art his disciple they said to the 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 man we are Moses's disciples we know that God spake unto Moses as were this fellow we know not from whence he is talking about Jesus but is that a right understanding of Moses Moses was the mediator of the law according to Galatians 3, but did he teach that compliance with legal obligations earns favor with God? Is that a right reading? Well, let's listen to Moses. He preached a sermon shortly before his death on the plains of Moab. And here's the theme of that sermon. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love him. Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, soul, and with all thy might, Deuteronomy 10, 12, And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to love him? Deuteronomy 11, 1, Therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep his charge. Deuteronomy 36, the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Deuteronomy 30, 16, I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God and to walk in his ways. Deuteronomy 30, 20, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and I'll stop. There are five more. 11 times in Deuteronomy, Moses says, do you love God? That's the issue. Obedience never effects a relationship with God in any dispensation. Obedience reflects a relationship with God. And love for God is what drives obedience. Now, the author of Hebrews has arrived at Moses in his survey. Now, we skipped a few verses. Verses 20 through 22 are the other patriarchs, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Lord willing, we're going to get back to them in our series. But we're going to pick up at verse 23 with Moses. The author has already mentioned Moses earlier in the book. Back in chapter 3, he said that Moses was a faithful man. Now he's going to explain how Moses was a faithful man. He was faithful because he was a man of faith. Think about Moses' life. By the way, this author assumes that his readers know Moses' life. He's going to pick some episodes to illustrate faith. What would you pick? Well, it's interesting that he's going to pick, he's going to devote four verses to Moses before he ever flees Egypt. And then he's going to, that's about the first 40 years, Then he's going to devote three verses to fleeing Egypt all the way till his death. This is highly selective. Uh, He is picking things in order to make a point. And as we'll see, it's the point that's been made all through this chapter. But the four verses we're going to look at today illustrate faith from Moses' life in three areas. Faith risks. Faith refuses. And faith reasons. And we're going to see the risk of faith in verse 23. So you're there with me. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid. What? (laughs) We're talking a baby here. Are the Presbyterians right? Do babies have faith? That is not the point of this verse. This, This is the only time in the chapter that we've had, by faith, a person with a passive verb after it. This was done to Moses. But boy, did it have impact on his life. We won't turn back there, but but the author is essentially quoting Exodus 2.2. When she, Jacobed, Moses' mother, saw that he was a goodly child. Goodly. The Hebrew word basically means good. And so translations translate it fine child or beautiful child or a healthy child. A promising child might be something, I mean... Don't most parents feel that way about their babies? <laughs> I could just, you know, something is badly wrong when you look at the baby and go, oh, This is a badly child. <laughs> All right, that's that, that that is not what you would anticipate. But they look at Moses and they say, This is a good child. We gotta protect this baby. They hit him for three months. Now, Amram was Moses' dad. He was clearly involved. And in the Greek translation of Exodus 2:2, he's actually mentioned. And that's what the writer of Hebrews does here. He mentions hid three months by his parents because Amram was was not looking the other way. He, He and Jochebed want to protect this baby. And then the author goes on to say, they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So what was the commandment? The edict was these Jews, these Israelites, are spreading too much. They're becoming a threat to us. So from now on, Whenever a male baby is born, kill it. Kill it. That's the edict. And the author of Hebrews says they were not afraid of the king's edict. Well, then why'd they hide the baby? (laughs) They're clearly afraid of the king's edict in reference to Moses. They're afraid their baby's going to get killed. So what is the implication of them not being afraid of the king's edict? There were lots of parents in israel having babies and i don't know how many of them took steps to protect their babies and i don't know how many of them are successful i'm not arguing from silence here we know about one these parents said we got to do something about this by doing something about it they weren't risking moses he was going to be killed anyway they were risking themselves they were setting themselves against the king's edict and that king's edict could have caused them to surrender their baby and go with the status quo and hope they have more children later. I mean, the average fertility rate for Israelites for 400 years had to be about 11 or 12 surviving kids per family to grow from 70 people to 2.5 million. We'll have more kids. The king will calm down. A lot of families probably rationalize that way. But they refused to do the wrong thing because they feared the king's edict and the writer of Hebrews attributes this to their faith we know what they did the writer of Hebrews doesn't tell us but they made a a, a basket out of papyrus and they put their baby in the basket and they took the basket and they put it in the reeds in the Jordan River and then they stationed Miriam or maybe another sister to watch and see what's going to happen this sounds like a plan but it's a crazy plan I mean, it's a plan subject to currents and crocodiles and cruel Egyptians. A lot of things can go wrong here. But they're facing an impossible situation. They know God doesn't want them to kill their baby. And so they are going to do the best they can in an impossible situation. And Moses was deeply impacted by this. We're going to find out in the next verse that Moses, when he grows up, is going to risk the king's wrath. In fact, next week, we're going to find out he, he didn't fear the king's wrath. Same language as his parents had experienced. He learned that to do right, sometimes you got to take chances. But if I refuse to lie for my boss, I'll lose my job. But if I confront my friend's sin, he, he won't like me anymore. If, if I act too spiritual in my friend group, they'll snub me and We are masters of rationalization. Faith determines what God would have us do, and it does it whatever risks are necessary to do it. The missionary stories I could tell at this point are legion, because virtually every person who has moved away from their home and settled in some foreign country has experienced enormous risk in order to share the gospel. There are people doing that right now in very dangerous places because God wants them to, and faith takes risks. As we read on in chapter 11, not every faith story ends well. This one does. I mean, you know, Pharaoh's daughter comes along and sees the baby and takes to it, and decides to adopt it, and wow, who saw that coming? But later on, people are going to be sawn asunder, they're going to wander destitute. They're going to gonna be persecuted. They're going to be scourged. Faith doesn't shield us from trial. Sometimes faith leads us directly into trial. But when God wants us to do it, then we're willing to risk. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not arguing for stupidity here. I'm arguing for faithfulness that the world will sometimes think is stupid. The world will say how can you do that how can you give up that much of your income from the lord's work how can you set aside that much of your time to serve the lord how can you move away from your family and friends and and see them only so many years how can you go to the other side of the country to some barren place how can you how can you how can you how can you and we could rationalize it away at all but faith takes risks it obeys god regardless of consequences And Moses grew up knowing his parents had done that for him. And God, in his grace, sunk that into Moses' heart. Parents can have enormous influence on their kids. When you have kids later, you can have enormous influence on them when they see you living a life of faith. Or anybody you influence, not just parents. And then we come to verse 24. Faith risks... Faith refuses. By faith, Moses. We're going to come back to our pattern. This is the 13th time since verse 3 that we have this pattern. By faith, so-and-so did something. Active verb. The verb here is refused. Refused. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Man, man. What a position this man fell into from birth. I mean, one thing you know, he's floating in a basket, being threatened by large lizards, reptiles. And the next thing you know, he's been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He's being raised in the royal court. He's got enormous prestige, power, opportunity. Stephen, in his great sermon in Acts 7, says, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. This is providential placement. This is opportunity that the Lord has provided this man. And if I were Moses, I would figure I was there for such a time as this. No, I doubt he, had, you know, he, he hadn't read Esther. But he knew that Joseph had been placed in such a position of influence at the court and maybe he can do his people wonderful good from this position of being Pharaoh's daughter but look what happened when he was come to years again that's a quote from Exodus 2 when he was come to years now Stephen tells us how old that is so if you've ever wondered how old you are once you come to years it's 40 I right, said so no offense All right. but, Moses was 40. And that suggests to us that this was not an easy choice. That is, for 40 years, he lived in the royal court. For 40 years, he had tremendous opportunity, tremendous privilege, prestige, power. I mean, we're not going to fantasize about him being in line for the throne and all that sort of thing. He, we don't need to. He's in the royal court. And then he turned 40, and he said, you know what, i got to make a choice here. i got to make a choice. Am I going to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, or am I going to do something else? And he could have rationalized, I'm going to be like Joseph, but you know what? I don't think Joseph would have served Pharaoh on condition that Pharaoh was going to kill all of Joseph's nephews. That is, Joseph, invite your family to settle, and, and, and all the male babies we going to kill. Now, Joseph didn't do that. These are not parallel. And Moses is enjoying the court while his brothers and sisters are suffering long days as slaves. They're backbreaking work and suffering. And so, he takes a decisive step. Now, the Genesis account, it looks kind of random, kind of unfortunate. He goes out to visit his brethren, and there's an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. And Moses kills him. And then he hides his body in the sand. It's not a great look. Here's the context. And it came to pass, in those days when Moses was grown, he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. Stephen in Acts 7 says, "...it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel." Now, i'm not going to justify and i don't think stephen or the writer of hebrews justifies murdering the egyptian and hiding his body in the sand what i will say is that moses's heart is in the right place he wants to deliver his people he wants to break the power of the egyptians and he's been taught his whole life that he's a powerful person he has learned and all the wisdom of the egyptians he is strong and he's going to use his strength to deliver his people Well, sometimes we have to be weak for God to use us. God's going to use Moses, but not until he has banished him to the backside of a desert for 40 years. And the people of Israel are going to carry burdens on their backs for 40 more years. Moses is going to marry, have a couple of sons. And when God meets Moses, when he confronts him on the mountain in Exodus 2 and 3, we do not find a Moses who is saying, finally! I get to go back there and deal with the Egyptians. Now, we find a Moses who is not arrogant, self conceited, full of himself, prepared to kill anybody in his path. We find a Moses who says, I don't think I can do this. Now, don't misunderstand me again. I'm not saying, I mean, his refusal to go, which God had to overcome, was unbelief. We should never say to God, I can't do that, because if God tells us to do it, He's the one who provides the power. But there are ditches on both sides. There's the ditch that says, You can't send me, Lord. I'm just too pathetic. And there's the ditch on the other side that says, I got this. You want me to preach? I can preach. You want me to be a missionary? I can be a missionary. You just turn me loose, Lord. That's not the kind of people the Lord uses. The Lord uses people who are conscious of their weakness. It's not about our getting glory. It's about him getting glory. When we're weak, then he's strong. And he spent years breaking Moses, molding him into an instrument, making him the meekest man on the face of the earth, Numbers 12.3. And the key step on this road to humility, fitness to be used by God, was his refusal to be Pharaoh's daughter's son. His refusal to buy into the world. So we need to know how he came to that point. What led him to this refusal? The reasoning of faith. And that's the key to this text, verses 25 and 26. You'll notice as you look at your text the verse 25 begins with a participle, choosing. Verse 26 begins with a participle, esteeming. And both of these participles are talking about Moses's thinking. How is he reasoning through this decision in verse 24? Why should I refuse? It's because of what he chooses and because of what he values. So reason one, verse 25. Choosing rather. Here's your choice. On the one hand, to suffer affliction with the people of God. On the other hand, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, the fleeting pleasures of sin. There's your choice. All this enjoyment over here, all this suffering over here, what do I pick? Now the Egyptian court, like virtually any royal court, is gonna have its share of sinful pleasures. I mean, they are the top of the social food chain, they have endless resources, they have more time than responsibility, There's lots of sinful things they can do. And Moses has been exposed to all of it for 40 years. He had firsthand experience of how fleeting, transitory, and unsatisfying the world's pleasures are. But he could enjoy them if he wanted to. But I'm not sure that that's the emphasis of our text. That is... Granted, there's a lot of debauchery probably taking, on, being taking, place, taking place in the Egyptian court, but I don't believe that Moses was caught up in the debauchery. So what are the pleasures of sin that he's turning away from? Well, I think it's much more primary. The primary pleasure he had to refuse was the pleasure of position, power, and prestige. The pleasure of being the grandson of the Pharaoh. The pleasure of being in the world the pleasure of having status the th- the pleasure of having power and even if he's using all that in unobjectionable ways he's not going to be used by god as long as he grips it the question is to whom will moses be loyal and he's come to this point of decision in his life he can have temporal benefits galore but how does the text describe them they're fleeting they're chasing the wind ecclesiastes would tell us you can't hold on to them they don't do you any lasting good or you can suffer you can throw in your lot with the sufferers he had to decide that the riches of this world are too expensive that if I go for them, then as the Lord Jesus said, I throw my life away. I throw my soul away. So that Moses is challenging us to ask what we're living for. Charles Studd grew in riches, wealthy family, went off to Eton, the school that prepares the elite of England for Oxford or Cambridge. And Deal Moody came to England, and his dad got saved. And shortly thereafter, the boys all got saved, including Charles. But He's a Christian now. And he was a Christian for about six years. And what's he living for? Same things he was living for before, more or less. Uh, He was a great cricket player, played for the national team. He uh, was handsome and liked by everybody, and great personality. Then his brother got very, very ill. was dying and it's like stud got a wake-up call george is about to lose all of this and so will i i'm not living for anything that i can carry with me into the next life what is all the fame and flattery he wrote worth when a man comes to face eternity i knew that cricket would not last and honor would not last and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. His dad died. He inherited 29,000 pounds, a whole chunk of money in the 1880s, and he gave it all away, gave it away, divvied it up to like five or six major ministries, including Mueller's Orphanage, and, and then he volunteered, to go to China as a missionary. And he served there for 15 years, and then he went to India and served there for a few years. Then he went to Africa and started a mission. And For 46 years, he served on the mission field in very difficult places, winning people to Christ. Finally dying in 1931, with uh, little or nothing uh, of this world to show for it, but many souls in glory. And it's Stud who said, only one life, which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so Moses makes this choice in verse 25 because he does a calculation in verse 26. He was esteeming, and here's the comparison, the reproach of Christ, the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. I was asked before chapel what the title of my sermon is. Greater riches! There it is. Greater riches. Where's the value? The stigma? That's what the word reproach means. The stigma that comes associating with Christ? Oh, you're one of those? For Moses, it meant you're one of those slaves? You're one of these people who just do menial tasks and will never be anything in this world? You're one of them? But he esteemed that greater riches than the treasures in Egypt it was worth more now it's interesting that the writer of hebrews says that moses made this decision for christ because we know tons more about jesus christ than moses did so why would the writer of hebrews say moses made this decision for christ well moses knew something about the promises i'm pretty sure he wrote genesis and he knew that there was a promise to Abraham that was then given to Isaac, that was then given to Jacob, that was then given to Judah, that a seed is coming and that seed is going to deliver his people. And therefore, the long-term plan that God has for the world doesn't rest with the Egyptians on the court. It rests with Israel, these slaves. I want to, you know, I can enjoy these short-term pleasures. I can enjoy the prestige and pop but it's all going to blow away and be nothing. Or I can invest in something which God is doing and is going to be doing for the rest of time. That's the decision Moses is making. There's no future in Egypt. But these slaves, that's, that's where God's working. That's where God's going to raise up a deliverer. Is it going to be worth it to make this decision? Will it be worth it for you when you make the decision to reject what the world is offering and embrace Christ? Will he be worth it? I think we've uh, been set up for the conclusion of this sermon for the last two weeks. It struck me how it's like the Lord has taken a big bat and been hitting me about the head and neck with this message for weeks. Two weeks ago tomorrow, Dr. Backerick went to 2 Timothy 2 and said, are we living like soldiers? Are we willing to choose a path that leads to difficulty and possibly suffering rather than the easy path which is entangled with the world? Are we willing to do that? Then two days later, Dr. Brock preached on 2 Corinthians 4, and said, do you want the life of Christ to be manifested in your body? There's only one way that happens, when you take the dying of Christ in your body. Why would you do that? Because you are looking not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. There are eternal things, and there are temporal things. What are you going to live for? And then last Monday, Dr. Jones took us into Hebrews 11 and talked about Abraham. How could he sacrifice his son? Because of the resurrection, because there are eternal realities that are enabling sacrifice now. And then the next day mr herbster said you know i wasn't sure what to preach on but the lord kind of led me to a text and what does he preach on first peter 2 on being pilgrims in this world and being strangers and not living for what this world gives but living for another world because god can use that otherworldly perspective to change people now in every single case a choice is being made a choice to be invested here or to be invested elsewhere and Moses the author says had respect under the recompense of the reward Moses says there's a payday there's a payday there's a reward coming that's the kind of reasoning that every person in this chapter is doing Abel wants God's approval Enoch wants to please God. Abraham is willing to go to a country he doesn't know because he's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. There is a far city, it's on the horizon, and it's worth it. Why is it worth it? Because Jesus is there. And anything here that keeps me from getting him there is a bad trade. But because it's out there, it takes faith the world's rewards are always very tangible. We can hold them in our hands. That's why we that's why Moses that's why the author calls them pleasures. Yeah. It feels great at the moment. But anything given up for Jesus is not wasted. Do we choose Christ or the world? Moses made the right choice and he is one of those witnesses gathered around us saying Are you going to look to Christ? Are you going to fix your eyes on him? Or are you going to live for something which, when you die, will have been a complete waste? That's our challenge. And Moses, he's no tyrant, no lawgiver. (laughs) He's saying, love God and not stuff. Thank you, Lord, for this morning and these men and women and the opportunity to share this text with them. Help us to have faith that risks, that refuses, and that reasons biblically. Help us, Lord, to choose rightly. And, Lord, that can be the big choices. How are we going to devote our lives? It can be the daily choices of how are we going to spend our moments, how are we going to use our words. Lord, I pray that you'd give us grace to follow Moses as he followed Christ. Thank you that he made the right choice. Give us grace to do the same, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.